0: reading from Genesis and Matthew today, uh, starting with Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now Matthew 26, 41. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the word of the Lord. God. All right. Uh, let's pray one last time, and we'll just open our hearts. Historically, we've the church has always left her eyes open to pray, but I invite you to just close your eyes to sort of center your attention into uh, this present moment. Just become aware of the weight of your body pressing down into the chair, and we do this because the inertia of emotions and smiles and coffee. We don't want to miss if the Lord might have a word for us today, something to speak to us, a comfort, a correction. And so we attune our hearts and minds together as one body settling down here into this space to listen and to receive. Holy Spirit, we invite you to raise the questions and to instill in us a reality of conversation I pray that this teaching and this Sunday morning would provide an encounter of love for each of these souls, each of them hungering and in need, all of us, Father, longing to be closer to you and be more like you and do good in this world, so go before us now as we explore the nature of our being and revel in the unconditional love that you pour out upon each of us today. Set at ease each heart. Let there be A comfort and a calm that overcomes us as we become a non anxious presence, certain of our future, settled in your goodness, responding to your guidance. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with a quick little story from Seattle. I found myself in a house. It was community group night, which Alexis and I have been part of communities for over 20 years now. And it was toasty warm. And I was sitting on this very comfortable couch, but I was shaking like a leaf in the wind. And I was wrapped up in a blanket. I had a full winter parka on. I had my beanie on. I had my gloves on. Though everybody in the house was sipping hot drinks and eating warm food, I could not stop shivering and convulsing uncontrollably. And rather than my community group being concerned for me and showing empathy, all of them were mocking me incessantly. And this this is why. For the better part of two decades now, I have been what you might consider somewhat of an obsessive, compulsive, biohacking, human optimization, you know, longevity hobbyist. And so my wife oftentimes jokes that I get into these fringe practices that like 10 years later become mainstream. Well, at this time in my life, I had stumbled onto the world of Wim Hof and psychotropic breathing. And as some of you may have guessed by now, cold therapy via cold showers and ice baths and Puget Sound swims. And so this particular evening, uh, I I had really decided that I was just going to go for it because Wim was teaching me that, you know, I could go forth into the world and control my autonomic nervous system, and I could control my temperature, and I could increase my testosterone, I could lower my resting heart rate, I could increase my HRV, I could develop a good brown fat like whales. Doesn't that sound nice? I could get rid of all the bad white fat, like none of us want that. And so I went wholesale into this process, and on this particular evening, I had kind of overdone it. And so, um, not knowing what I had done to myself, I spent too much time in the ice-cold waters of the Puget Sound this night, and Rather than controlling my autonomic nervous system and developing more brown fat like a whale, which was my goal, uh, I found myself uh, subhypothermic. <laughs> and my community group thought it was hilarious. Now, this was 10 years before Huberman and Rogan and Ferris have made Cold Plunge all the rage. And I'm still into all that biohacking stuff. I wear all sorts of wearables and I do all sorts of stuff trying to just engineer a little bit of longevity out of my life. But I don't do the cold, the cold water nearly as much as I used. In fact, I haven't done cold water for quite some time because here's the deal, you guys. For all of you that are getting into this, I hate to burst your bubbles. But we do get uh, a, 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 an, an a, aniprofen. It's a, it's a hormone. It makes us feel really good. But the research is kind of showing that suffering through three minutes of 35-degree water is not really doing much for us at all. And so as the research has begun to pile up, I've been like, this is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Now, my life, my biohacking, human optimization, longevity, hobbyist life, it may be a bit extreme. And indeed, I may get myself into fringe situations that later become mainstream and then this too will pass away. But the reality is all of us this morning are working on some way, on something. We are all working at our personal transformation projects. Every single one of us. And if we're brutally honest with ourselves, for the most part, most of us and most of those transformation projects are failing us. They're not working. Let me just start by asking y'all a very humble question, not condemning in any way. How are your personal, financial, physical, emotional, and relational transformation projects going right now? Have you arrived? Have you made it? Is all well? Is all done? You've accomplished it. You figured it out. You found the way. All of us find ourselves experiencing the negative effects of our thoughtless decisions, our harmful habits, our character flaws, our behavioral patterns that we're unaware of. And so it forces us to set out on these personal transformation projects to overcome and become what we know we should be. And over and over and over, we find ourselves failing and failing. Why? Now, the various disciplines... Evolutionary biology, modern psychology, neuroscience, they all offer us a host of reasons why you and I struggle so much to change. And of course, there are industries that are focused on biohacking and human optimizing and productivity apps and fitness and nutrition and mindfulness and self-care and cold plunges and all the like. They all offer sometimes helpful, sometimes not so helpful steps towards transformation. Yet, our struggles continue to pile up no matter how hard we work at these personal transformation projects. The ancient authors of the Bible they offer, in my opinion, the most sophisticated and the most comprehensive answer to this vexing inability for us to change ourselves. Jesus Christ summarized our dilemma in this way. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, no matter how much you freeze it in 35-degree water. It's this dichotomy of flesh and spirit that is the answer to yours and to mine, to all of our failed transformation projects. Bubba, Bubs, this cat, I don't know what we're going to do. You guys cool with the cat being in here and we'll just keep trucking? All right. I hope he gets saved. (laughs) The Bible, as we watch the cat, listens to our hearts, and the Bible offers us a concrete hope. The Bible offers you and I this morning a concrete hope for true and lasting transformation. Jesus Christ has a different vision for your life. Jesus Christ has a vision for your life that is the true you. Jesus Christ has a vision for your life, a transformation project that changes you into the everything you ever wanted to be you. A patient, loving, gentle, self-controlled, secure, humble, joyful, and most importantly, an unconditionally loved and loving you. In and through Jesus Christ, this transformation project is not doomed to fail. It is absolutely certain to succeed. I hope that allows hope to rise up in your bodies and minds. No less than the total and complete transformation of the way we think, the way we believe, the way we behave, in our soul, in spirit, and in our physicality, no less than the total transformation of our entirety is the certain and entire end of the Christian enterprise. That is what you have signed up for, and Jesus has promised that he will bring it to pass through time and on into eternity. Now, this morning marks a transition point in our spring series, Look Away, Look Toward. We spent January exploring the themes of the world and the kingdom. So our goal is going to be discerning where the corrupted systems of the world have captured our attention and looking away from them towards the ideals of Jesus' kingdom. Again, from last week in the language of Jesus himself, we remember, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. We're keying off those two words. All spring and all this year, repent and believe. Repent, look away from the world. Repent, look away from the flesh. Repent, believe, look toward the kingdom of God. Believe, look toward the power of the Holy Spirit. So for February, we're meditating on the themes of flesh and spirit. January, world and kingdom. February, flesh and spirit. March, devil in Jesus it's going to be a fun month in March this morning session is going to lay the groundwork by answering the question what exactly is the flesh according to the Bible? In the following weeks, we're going to explore the war between the flesh and the spirit. That will be next week. And then we're going to learn what it means at week number three, how to actually walk according to the spirit. If you've been a Christian for very long, I'm sure you find yourself frustrated with this disconnect. You believe all these grand truths about the Bible and about Jesus, but your transformation project seems to sometimes still out, to be plateaued, to not be making progress. How do we continue to walk in the Holy Spirit, week number three. And then week number four, I'm really excited about Zach's going to. To come cap it off for us, pointing towards the greatest hope of Christian theology, namely a resurrected real body of flesh, free from sin, habituated to heaven's patterns forever. What our flesh is becoming and what it will be when heaven arrives on earth. That's week number four. So February, this month of looking away from the flesh and looking to the Spirit, we're going to, in lieu of that, roll out our third of nine core practices. At Neighbors, we're rolling out nine core practices that we orient our lives around together collectively as a church. So we rolled out last year's Sabbath, rest as a way of being, resilience as a way of doing, prayer through the Our Father, and February is for... Fasting, fasting, it's gonna be tremendous. Starting this week, as I said, our community groups are gonna be practicing fasting from food for a determined amount of time, and then they'll gather in the evenings around tables to break bread, and then listen to teachings from our friends over at Practicing the Way and John Mark. The stuff that John Mark is doing is absolutely phenomenal. And so, on those evenings, you'll listen to a teaching after filling your bellies with good food, having fasted for about 24 hours, and learn about this rhythm, this core historical rhythm of the church fasting. If you're not in a community, you guys can still fast alongside us, and you can also get the material online at practicingtheway.org. As well, February, we're just piling up all of these meditation themes. February 14th, as Lex said, yes, Valentine's Day, marks the beginning of Lent on the liturgical church calendar. So the church for millennia now has set aside the 40 days approaching Easter for a time of deep introspection and corporate repentance. So we're joining with churches from all across San Diego for a collective Ash Wednesday gathering to launch the season. We're also going to be offering Lent guides. I think those are being printed this week. Alexis, myself, and Sarah put together these Lent guides. If you're unfamiliar with it or if you just want a little guidance through the season of Lent approaching Easter, the guides are fantastic. We just read through them yesterday. I was like, Lex, this is really good stuff. So I highly recommend the Lent guides. They'll be out on the tables for you guys next week. And then finally, just to highlight in bold February's meditations, looking away from flesh, looking towards the spirit, we're inviting all of you to a digital fast for the entire season of Lent. That starts in mid-February and goes all the way through to March 31st. Now a digital fast, that can be according to your standards and what you feel like you can handle at this moment in your particular life stage. The primary goal through Lent and a corporate digital fast is to transform our phones into dumb phones, To try to get some freedom from the YouTube algorithms. I mean, I am just as addicted to those things as you are. Puppies chasing baby elephants, that's impossible not to watch. (laughs) And to try to get to bed a little bit more early through the Lent season instead of binging Netflix late into the night. Everybody on board with that? Uh, I I really do look forward to what the Spirit's going to do in us, and it's an invitation to you. It's an invitation for you to consider a way of being. This is a tremendous season for us as a local expression of Jesus' body. I just want to keep reminding you guys through 2024. I'm convinced that this is a year of revolutionary joy for us. Revolutionary joy rooted in repenting, looking away, believing, looking towards these things. This month, we're looking away from the flesh and its shallow pleasures of immediate gratification and addiction and harmful habituation. And we're intentionally looking toward the ancient ways of contentment and joy. Through embodied self control, through deep focus, through asceticism, through fasting, intentional faith, worshipful devotion. And friends, we are following along with a family of mentors and saints spanning all of history, going all the way back to Jesus, that have modeled for us a way of life that repatterns our bodies and beings and rehabituates our minds and souls to the contours of the Holy Spirit within us. And so I do hope that you're down to join us at whatever level you feel comfortable. So, for this morning, let's dig in. Are we ready? Another 30 minutes. What is the flesh? What is the flesh? The Bible uses the term flesh in a very multi-complex layered way, just as it does with the concept of the world. At base level, at ground level, flesh, when the Bible talks about the flesh, is the tangible body in which you and I live. Again, the Genesis account that was read for us this morning by Daniel. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. There's a play on words here, and Hebrew is uh, consistent in its usage of these plays on words. In Hebrew, it reads this way. The Lord God formed Hadam, Adam, Adam, Hadam. The Lord God formed Hadam from the dust of the Hadamah, the Lord God formed Hadam from the Adamah, dust from the dust. and breathed into the breath of life, and the Haram, the Adam, Adam, became a living being. Pretty simple. Adam and Eve, Eve, Heva, source of life, Adam, dirt man, literally translated, are from the arama, from, from, from the dirt, from the ground. So there you have it. And science would corroborate this. Our flesh is carbon and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and a whole host of other things. Now, some would say and have us to believe, certainly, that these bodies randomly came about by chance and accident. But the biblical ancient authors were firmly convinced that we breathe and have our life and being because God breathed and made it so in these dirts and in these dirt clods. It's important to note here, and I want us to track with this thought, all the way through the rest of this month, it is so important to note here that our flesh bodies, this carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen, arama, dirt, ground, adam, dirt, man, eva, source of life, the Bible has no category for a soul that is trapped in bad human flesh from which it must escape. This is a heresy that still is entrenched deeply in the Christian church to this day. We are, at neighbors, we try to explain this concept in this way. We are embodied or in fleshed souls, or said conversely or oppositely, we are in spirited or in souled flesh. Flesh and soul in the Bible are not separate. Spirit and body, they are not separate. Rather, soul, spirit, flesh, dirt, carbon, breath, life, all of these are constituent parts of one singular essence combining, comprising what you and I would call me, you, us what God loves. Here's an uncomfortable statement. God loves our flesh bodies because our bodies are us. This thematic thought needs to carry through this entire week. When we miss this, we mess up Christianity. God loves our flesh bodies because our flesh bodies are us. Now, I squirm at that statement. You may squirm at that statement. We're going to address why at the end of this session, particularly next week, we'll really look at why we squirm with that statement. But Christian theology places a high value on the body in which we live and exist. It treasures it and honors it and cares for it because God himself does so with infinite love towards us as infleshed creatures. Now, back to Genesis here for just a moment. These dirt creatures, Adam, Hiva, Adam, Eve, dirt man, source of life. Haramah, from the ground, breathed life into. These dirt creatures, they lived exposed. All that they were was seen, and they were without shame. They lived in perfect intimacy with each other and with God. And they experienced what Jesus called life abundant. And that life abundant, Genesis assumes, was eternal. It was to be never-ending. Now we all know the story. Shortly after the creation of Adam and Eve, these enfleshed beings, there's a strange talking snake, which means it's probably more than a snake if it's having a chat with the human beings in the garden. This talking snake comes and deceives Eve, deceives Adam. They were deceived by this spiritual enemy of God, and they disobeyed God's counsel to them, and they were cast from God's presence. God had warned them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if If and when you eat from it, you will surely die. But here's the funny thing. They take a bite of the apple, and it's not like instant poison. They don't, or the pineapple, or the mango, or whatever that fruit was. They take a bite of whatever it was that they weren't to take a bite of, and they do not immediately die in their carbon-fleshed bodies. But something else happens. Instead, they are separated from God's presence, and they're cursed. Through that separation, they lost that intimacy, that sense of exposure and comfort and acceptance, They lost the uncovered, unashamed, unafraid relationship with God, and they died a sort of spiritual death in that moment. Now, that spiritual death brought on this overwhelming sense of shame and motivated them hiding and covering from each other and covering themselves from God. And that all eventually did culminate, as God warned, in physical death for them and for you and I. The Bible explains our problem... As an inborn one. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to you and me, because all sinned. Theologically speaking, we are born in Adam we are born in Adam. We are dirt creatures born in his likeness. Think of it this way. You and I right now carry in our bodies the physical DNA of our ancestors going back all the way to the beginning. Spiritually speaking, our enfleshed, ensouled bodies are born into the same state as Adam and Eve were born into after the fall. We are born, and this is going to be difficult, in a room like this with the baby buggy drive-in in the back and all these cute little babies to hear, but just listen to the theological premise here. We are born separated. We are born ashamed. We are born ashamed. We are born corrupted is the language of the Bible. We are born in a state that is already spiritually Separated, therefore, it is already spiritually dead in that sense. And we are also born in a state that is under the authority of the enemy. Just as Adam and Eve gave authority to the enemy, the talking snake, we are born already under the authority of that enemy. And that state is eventually what the biblical theologian said brings our physical death. Paul said it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, shorthand for talking snake in the garden, opposer, adversary, Lucifer, dragon, we'll get to all that in March, the spirit who is now at work in those who are in disobedience. So this state of corruption and death and the enemy's authority, it manifests in our flesh from the moment that we are born to the moment that we die. And I know for us that that does not sound fair. But if you would think back, how many of you were here for the atonement series? Just a few of you probably, huh? Oh, good. Okay. A few of you were definitely here for that. The atonement series, remember what sin was? Sin is a beast that we have to, it's crouching and it wants to take over, so we have to tame it. Sin is also a willful choice to rebel against God. But Primarily in thinking of sin right now in our born corrupted state, sin is a sickness from which we need healing. You and I, dearest ones, we were born sick. And in that sense, it's not your fault. But in that sense, it is your fault because the sickness makes you sin against God willfully. It's this strange, vicious cycle that we see throughout the texts. There is an alien force that is inborn in our flesh, a sickness. And this sickness convinces us that what is bad is good for us, and what is good for us is bad for us. This sickness, called sin, twists our desires. It deforms them and malforms them and disorders them. Sin disorders our desires. It redirects our will and our desire away from God and his will. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We are born saying, I think that's a bad idea. It's just the way it is now. Our flesh is also born already into this under the rule of God's enemy because of what Adam and Eve did. So we are sick with sin and our sickness convinces us to choose sin. Everybody tracking with that? There's nothing in the biblical record that's like super simple. The black and white Christianity that you may have been raised in, I'm sorry, I ask a lot of you on these Sunday mornings. It requires a lot of nuance. We are sick with sin, and our sickness convinces us to choose sin, which makes us more sick. That's our plight. Just as this, this, this inborn sin manifests from the very beginning, you guys can ask any of the parents that are developing like little two-foot-tall human beings, that sin is already present there, and it, it becomes quite apparent, actually. <laughs> So Paul uses all of these background ideas and layers, all these background ideas of Adam and Eve and dirt and the talking snake and authority and rebellion and sickness, all those, everybody tracking with that huge complex. Paul takes all those layers and he imports them into a technical term in his letters using the Greek word sarx. Can you all say sarx? Sarx, biblical theologians, all of you, which our English versions translate flesh. Sarx translates flesh. For Paul, flesh, or sarks—that that is shorthand for the whole of our physical and non-physical embodied realities that keep us separated from God and alive with him. In the mind of Paul, sarks or flesh, it's more than just the carbon of our bodies. Now, this is where we get really nuanced. Track with this. Flesh, in Paul's mind, is the accumulated patterns, habits, memories, warped emotions, malformed behaviors, deceived beliefs, and disordered desires. All of these things that have been deformed by the spiritual enemy of God or the sickness of sin, flesh encapsulates all of that. Everybody track with that? Everybody have that broad definition? So the heart of the serpent's deception of Adam and Eve was that they could make themselves more than flesh in love with God and loved by God. The fall happened because they came to believe that they could direct their own lives. They could be without God. The corruption of our flesh is the refusal to acknowledge that we are limited that we are utterly dependent, that we are needy. And the corruption of our flesh this morning for us, most importantly, the corruption of our flesh is rooted in our willful decision because we're sinned, because we're sick, and we are convinced by the sickness of sin. Our willful decision to not believe that God's love and God's presence and God's will leads to our highest flourishing and greatest happiness. That is what corrupts our flesh. The corruption of our flesh is this refusal to acknowledge that God has our highest happiness and flourishing in mind. So when you and I come back to our personal transformation projects, when you and I ask, why can't I change? why can't I get this right? Why is my financial, emotional, psychological, physical, how come all these personal transformation projects, they seem to always end either at a plateau or going backwards? Why can't I get it right? Paul says it's because our flesh, the odds are stacked against us. It's an impossibility, friends, for us to overcome the corruption or the inertia of our inborn collected memories and emotions and patterns and behaviors that are warped by the sickness of sin and under the authority of the enemy. It's an impossible battle for us to win Paul would state it this way the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God it doesn't submit to God's law nor can it do so those who are in the flesh or in the realm of the flesh cannot please God flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable So this flesh, this disordered desire, it's actually hostile to God. Whether it manifests in rebellion against God full on, or whether it manifests in religious behavior, trying to outdo God and earn God's love in the power of our flesh, the malformed patterns and emotions and beliefs and behavior cannot yield to God. It does not want God. And the flesh, in all of its rebellious inertia, is going to return to Adama. It's going to return to the ground. It cannot save itself from death, much less transform itself. So what are we to do? Remember what I asked you to carry through this whole month? Remember, our fleshy bodies are loved. Our fleshy bodies are loved. In their corruption, they are loved. God's saving purpose is to redeem and restore and reform the patterns of our thinking and our emotions and our beliefs and the embodied traumas that we carry in our bodies and the memories and the longings and the aches and the corrupted parts of our bodies. His intention is to heal all of that through the power of the Spirit by grace as a gift that we receive and walk in through faith. So much more on that next week. This is why Jesus said, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. As a Christian, we believe that our only hope for transformation is for God to step in and recreate our inner being. God has to reform and reframe our desires according to his will supernaturally. We have to literally be born again to be made a new creation. So how do we do that in this way? When a human being says to God, I can't do this. When you come to the end of yourself saying, I can't change. I acknowledge that I'm wrong. I acknowledge that I fail. I acknowledge that I have made mistakes. I acknowledge that I have willfully chosen to rebel. I acknowledge all of these things. And then that human being says, I surrender to not your condemnation of my corruption, I don't try to outdo it and fix it. I just come to you and I say, here is all this, and I surrender to the objective reality that you say you love me unconditionally. I surrender this body, this heart, these memories, this inertia of corruption to your love. I offer you all of this in submission. That is the miracle of new birth. That is the moment. And continuous moments that go on throughout the rest of our lives, re-offering ourselves, not being resaved, but just returning to that moment of daily submission to the love of God. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. What happens from this moment on, and this is what we're all experiencing, if you're a Christian in this room, is there is a sort of civil war that then launches in our hearts. Our deepest desires, deep, deep within, the deepest, underneath all the layers, the deepest desires align with God, but the inertia and memories of our flesh continues to exert influence on our beliefs and behaviors. So Paul says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. That's next week, flesh, the war of flesh and spirit. And then the following week, we're going to get super concrete and we're going to ask how, how can we actually slow the inertia of our flesh? How can we slow the momentum of our former life and redirect our entire being, as Paul says in Galatians, to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh? Okay, we're going to get ready to come to communion now. Some, clu- some concluding thoughts to take us to communion. Remember, I'll say this over and over and over, I hope, throughout this entire series. God loves our fleshy bodies and our beings. He loves our memories. He even loves the broken patterns of the way that we interpret the world and experience the world. He loves the chaotic storm for some of us that is our emotions. He loves some of us that repress all. He loves all that we do in our process of trying to overcome and personally transform the flesh. He loves our beliefs. He loves our behaviors, even though they are deformed and malformed in the flesh. Why? Remember, those fleshy bodies and all those things, they are us. That's what we are before him. Our corruption does not turn him away from us. This is so key for the rest of the month. Our corruption actually compels God to chase after us. The more deeply we feel and sense these broken parts of ourselves, not hiding them from God like Adam and Eve did with coverings of religion or rebellion, The more honestly we can open ourselves to God in nudity, spiritual nudity, and let him see the pockmarks and the woundings and the pain and the inertia of wrong choices and the momentum of willful sin and sit there before him. His heart pours out lavish love upon us. It is an unstoppable, unwavering, unending passion that slowly over time transforms us. It is the embodied experience of God's love that slowly brings success to our transformation projects because we stop striving and there's a supernatural strength that is given. So much more on this in the coming weeks. He loves, and the way that he did this, his love for our fleshy and souled bodies was so great that he himself donned human flesh to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He donned human flesh When we forget the goodness of God and his love for us and his loving intent to heal us, we begin to rely on the flesh to fix the flesh. And that just doesn't work. It just produces more corruption. And it happens both ways. On the rebellious side, all we're trying to do is fix the flesh by saying, I don't need God, I don't want God. Give me the apple. I eat it all the way down. And on the religious side, we're saying, I don't need God, I don't want God. Give me the apple, I'll fix it the way I want to fix it with my moral standards and my statutes. And so Jesus had words for the Pharisees and Jesus had word for the prostitutes. Jesus had word for the Sadducees and Jesus had word for the tax collectors. You must be born again. Paul would say, we must learn to walk in the spirit. If we do not learn to walk in the spirit, dearest friends, and pattern our lives after the kingdom of God and habituate our minds and hearts to the patterns of the Holy Spirit, then we will deal with our flesh in two extreme ways. And this is just for us in our social moment, okay? Last little bits here. We will deal with our flesh in two different ways. And it's across a spectrum. So one, we'll be harsh and we'll hate the flesh. Or two, we'll just succumb to it and sanctify the flesh. Let me just flesh those out a little bit, pun intended. At one end, and we see this in the church a lot, especially throughout history, maybe not so much in the modern church and in a church like ours where I think licentiousness may be more of a problem than legalism, but we can become so relentlessly cruel to ourselves psychologically and even physically because the flesh thinks it can fix itself. It fixates on itself and our perceptions of ourselves are deceived Then we look out on the world of fleshy dirt beings that are all deceived as well. And we abide by the world's warped standards of value and beauty and intelligence and acceptability and lovability. So you have a whole world of fleshy dirt beings setting deformed standards for each other. And what it causes us to do is become harsh with ourselves and hate ourselves. Some brief examples. Our body-obsessed culture has created a society of enfleshed creatures doing almost anything to themselves to become an acceptable, lovable body in the eyes of other broken bodies. Does that make sense? Psychologically speaking, I know I've done this, we will spend hours and hours on our therapist's couch trying to sort through and discover, my goodness, I just wake up in the morning with a barrage of self-criticisms, self-defeatisms, insecurities, harshness with this body, harshness with my flesh. For some, particularly in Gen Z, where the suicide levels are through the roof, a hatred, a hatred for the body that God has given me, the mind and memories that he loves unconditionally. But when we try to fix it ourselves, we fixate and we are so harsh. And then within religious communities, the religious communities, especially Jesus' church, has long records of bizarre legalisms, aberrance, and avoidance of any sort of embodied pleasure at all cost. Like, don't smile at church because that's not holy kind of crazy stuff. Don't even even say the word S-E-X because you'll get struck with lightning, that kind of stuff. That's about sex, just in case you guys didn't know. (laughs) And severe asceticism has plagued the church, a danger that we face in a church like ours. We're, a, we're, we're what you would consider a neo-monastic community. We, we follow the suit of the Desert Fathers. We do a lot of fasting this week. And there's a real danger that you could become cruel to yourself in fasting, that your flesh would take over and the momentum of, I'm just going to do this myself and fix it myself. You become harsh with yourself rather than kind and gentle like God is with your flesh. Rather than being compelled by mercy for yourselves, like God is, we become cruel to ourselves. Please hear me. This is not just modern psychobabble meditations from TikTok. This is biblical Christian theology. And it's the only way that you will find healing. It's the only way that will truly be transformed. All of these things... Religious and rebellious harshness with our flesh, they are futile efforts at reform and transformation that cannot be healed apart from a deeper total surrender and honesty to trust in God's love and presence. Now, at the other extreme, briefly, at the other extreme, we have what I would say is our society's current means of dealing with the flesh. That is, succumb to the flesh, whatever it desires, and sanctify it as good. Self-control is the one thing that we cannot call people to in this social moment because it denies authenticity, it denies me being who I am. And this is why. Because we have been told that our bodies are just random connections of chemicals, we are convinced that there is no higher good than to act on every desire as a means of authenticity and fulfillment. That is a succumbing to the flesh, and it utterly denies the spiritual component and really the greater responsibility that humans have been given of joyfully honoring God in our bodies as God wills. This is why history is full of human cultures and human sages in particular who said the way to the good life isn't self-release, it's self-control. The way to liberty isn't just do whatever you want, it's do whatever you want in the confines of control under God's will, under the authority of God. Having succumbed to the body's disordered desires, like in this cultural moment, and we succumb to everything, friends, right, left, I don't want you thinking just sexually here. We succumb to greed, and we call that the pursuit of success in the American dream. Okay? Uh, we we. we succumb to covetousness, we do succumb to sexual pleasures and attractions of all types, gluttony, position power over others, and then what we do as a society is we sanctify those things and we call those things our authentic selves, our success, or what we deserve. In Paul's language, we know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, but they or we not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. I want to be careful here with the us and them language because this is us, church. My beloved friends, this is me. <laughs> this is me. I can't tell you how many times I sanctify and set apart whatever emotional experiencing in my body as authentic and this is what I deserve rather than opting for a choice of self-control, patience, and monitoring, repatterning the body according to God's will. So the answer for our flesh, as we wrap this up, the answer for our flesh is not more self-hatred and harshness. Through this entire series, I want to invite each of you. Uh, This is what uh, a spiritual director counselor gave to me years ago. I laughed at him. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard at first. But it's helped me for many years later now. Dan, be nice to yourself, man. (laughs) It was the weirdest thing to hear him say that. Because I was like, Rich, what do you... I am nice to myself. I love myself more than anything. And Rich told me, no, you have, you have a moral compass and it's always pointed towards true north and you are always wrong. That's just, you don't do that to anybody else. Why do you do that to yourself? God doesn't do that to you. And in my twisted flesh, sick mind, I was like, yeah, well, th- that is how God treats me. Because my flesh had a perception of God and I've had to repattern my perception of myself according to God who says, son, I love you. I delight in you. You're my treasure, I honor you. Equally, it is not to succumb to every desire and sanctify it. To sanctify our warped beings and call them e- To call good, evil and evil good is actually to enhance and to increase corruption to, to total death. So what is our goal then for today and this month? It is to truly surrender in our bodies, to receive and walk in all that God has done. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That statement is so profound. You are not condemned today in anything. You, the, the king of the universe is so passionately drawn to you in your sickness, saying, I'm the good physician. I don't condemn you. I want to heal you. How? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death and corruption. For what the law or what your flesh was incapable of doing was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In summary, God has done for us everything that is necessary for forgiveness, for righteousness, He took on flesh and he died our death in his flesh. And he raised on our behalf, giving victory to literal physical flesh over the death that the enemy had brought into the world. And God has granted us this morning by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, this possibility and this promise of transformation. Our part is to partner with him in learning to surrender to love, to walk in greater and greater alignment with what he's given us in the spirit. And here... uh, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. You've been sold a bill of goods by the American church, and it is this. You pray a certain prayer, the Holy Spirit comes in and whoosh, kaboom, I'm fixed. Wow, great. And then it doesn't work. And we find ourselves saying, "Why isn't this working?" This process of rehabituation, walking in the Holy Spirit, it is a life-long, daily process, and we make progress in in like inches. <laughs> Sometimes you're going to have a breakthrough where you're like, oh my gosh, I was just more patient with my wife. And next thing you know, you're like, well done, Dan. And you're filled with pride. (laughs) You see, it's like one step forward, five steps back. And we do this dance, always learning to be like, hey, Dan, don't condemn yourself. Jesus doesn't condemn yourself. Bring that impatience. Bring that perversion. Bring that corruption. Bring that lust. And be loved day by day moment by moment, and slowly, the two steps forward, five steps back becomes, you've moved a little bit more forward, a little bit more forward. But you've got to settle in right now. And stop looking for the the moment that you say the prayer, oh, God, free me from this. And then you, for some of us, that will happen. There are certain moments in time where God will just leap you forward in bounds and you'll be walking this, and you'll be free. And then guess what? You'll be free for 20 years and you'll wake up and something will be going on in your life and you'll be like, where in the world did this come from again? I am not 17, I am 47. It's frustrating. And so then I have to say, Dan, chill. Be nice to yourself, man. This, the momentum of this broken thing that I live in, God doesn't hate it. He's not harsh with it. And I can't fix it, but I can surrender to his love of it. The war between spirit and flesh, as we'll see next week, it's not going to be won by self-hatred. It's not going to be won by sanctifying it. It is only going to be won by a deeper surrender to a love that, as this morning in prayer, Sarah led us through prayer, and every word, every theme was, washes us clean washes us pure, reforms our hearts and minds and bodies. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to be showing, and fasting is one of those practices that makes space. It creates, the, it, it stills the momentum and the inertia of the flesh, and it makes room for the Holy Spirit to take more responsibility and more influence in what we do and the way that we believe and the way that we see. As we come to communion this way, uh, Nate, you can come on up. As we come to communion this morning, I just want to ask you guys two questions. I didn't put these up on the screen, but consider these deeply as we come to communion. First, take a moment and just ask yourself, like become aware, where am I hating myself right now? And repent, look away. And if you find yourself saying, I I can't even get my head around what it would be like not to be harsh with myself then you're at the very beginning of the journey. We'll just call you a baby Christian, a novice. But Dan, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. That's Christianity. I wake up every morning like I'm a novice. I've not figured this thing out at all. I can only rest in this deep love. Where, where right now are you being harsh with yourself? Is it body image? Is it success? Is it power? Is it control of others and, and you have a pattern that you keep following? And where are you just... Unconsciously, and now bringing to the surface consciously, where are you condemning yourself? Because as we come to communion this morning, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to say, come and be open and honest with this. Just feel it in your body and know that I love you. You don't need to repress it or fix it or hide it. Let me ask you a second question. Where this morning might you be succumbing to and sanctifying your flesh rather than resisting and turning from Where might covetousness and the pursuit of success be camouflaging fleshy greed? Where might envy or discontent just be sanctified as, yeah, that's what drives me. That's that's what's gonna make me somebody in the world. Rather than sanctifying that, bring that to the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit, you have works for me to walk in. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I don't need to strive. I don't need to force. So I'm not going to sanctify this envy and make it like it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's corrupting my soul. And so thank you that you love me and that you have a a plan for me. Let me pray. We're going to sing. Lex will lead us in a communion meditation. It's going to be a really, really good month. A fantastic month remember we are loved that love releases us it, it sets us skipping through the rest of this day with such joy fully aware of what we are and loved in that because what we are is saintly in the presence of God in the Holy Spirit who sees us only as he sees Jesus Father these things uh, have to go beyond just an intellectual nod you, you have to bring each of our bodies to, to a slowness and a stillness that opens up in total vulnerability and honesty before you. For these beloved souls, God, for these enfleshed dirt beings, God, please, where they are being, where we are being harsh with ourselves and hurting ourselves today, just for a moment, may you be the good physician. May you come and, and touch the bruises, the self-inflicted bruises, be they physical or even psychological, just where we're berating ourselves and continually crushing ourselves and got to get better and got to do this, got to do that, got to make it, I got to be somebody. All these things so harsh. May we just be children held in the arms of our Father. I pray, Lord, the dangerous sickness of, of sanctifying evil and calling it good This morning, Holy Spirit, illuminate in any of us and in all of us where we are leaning into that. We're trying to overcome flesh by just sanctifying it, saying it's good. You can reveal that to each of these respectively in the communion moment. And as we approach communion in song, may our bodies sing to you praise and worship, these fleshy bodies, with worship and thanksgiving, because you cleanse us and you make us new and you make us whole by faith. We just entrust ourselves to you this morning as we sing. Uh, Let's all stand and we'll sing.